Welcome to the Let's Talk About Church Safety and Security podcast, where we discuss the issues churches face protecting their flock while maintaining a Christ-centered focus with your host, Paul Buckner. So I want to go back to something that you said a minute ago, because I think this is something that we can, and I try to be mindful of this because of ministries I protect. So when we approach somebody, maybe this person is the victim of abuse in their past. And maybe maybe our shiny bald head reminds them of an abuser, um, especially with extreme incidents of abuse. Um, sometimes uh, another presence, a woman can help. And then we, we feel super protective over her and we might escalate because we're a man and we feel we need to protect her. And, you know, that's where the training comes in and is so dress, uh, desperately important. But I, I protect some ministries that work with people either, either helping victims of domestic abuse or all the way over into trafficking, into human trafficking. And I remember an incident, I try to be a, a, a student of body language and watch people's body language and demeanor. And so, and you're, you're a street cop and you know, that was, that's huge because you, you watch that person turn their foot and glance at the door, you know, which way they're going to run. Well, body language and understanding what people are doing is huge and people will give you cues. There'll be a tick in the face or something that you can play off of. So that's a whole other conversation for a whole other episode, but um, we may not be able to communicate. And I don't care how, you know, golden gloves uh, at de-escalation Paul Buckner gets. I may be, I may be the man, but I look just like that person that hurt them or they can't hear it from me. And, and like you said earlier, and that's a great gold nugget, is you may not be able to reach that person. It may need to be somebody else, or they may just need to hear it from somebody else. And uh, so uh, when we're in a situation like that, and we can take that step back, I remember very specifically doing an escort for someone that had been trafficked. And they were going from point A to point B. We were just walking. And as I approached and fell into step, this this person like withered and physically moved around and put one of the people that ministered to them between myself and them. And I realized in that moment, there's literally nothing I can do to make this person feel comfortable. What I can do is give them distance, give them space, and I won't even address them. And it was the best thing exactly that happened right. because they had just come out of a situation in a public environment with anxieties and fear. They had seen someone that had reminded them, but wasn't of an abuser. And so I didn't realize it, but the instinctively, and I'll, I'll give the Holy Spirit a lot of room there because I'm a very, oh my gosh, are you okay? And that was not what was needed. I need to take a step back. And later the person that was in that ministry and, and knew this person said, hey, you did the absolute best thing. You actually moved to where they couldn't see you. And they, they were literally creating physical barriers between myself and them. And when we can do something like that, we can make somebody feel more comfortable. And I, I could I could tell a dozen stories, and I know you could tell 50 stories about where someone else could do something. Um, I protected a little girl one time. She was um, either the dog took her for a walk or we, she went for the, the walk and the dog went with her. Mm-hmm. But she was up uh, by Springfield, Missouri, out in the middle of nowhere. And I was just kind of shepherding her, just making sure she was okay. And she was about three. And so fortunately, she had some some savvy to her where she was like, hey, not everybody's my friend. And so I'm keeping traffic off of her. She's right next to a major highway walking with her dog to where if somebody's not paying attention, she's toast. And so I call it in and they bring in a road deputy who is a female officer. This was smart. And so there's three or four guys there. I'm just saying, hey, let's keep our distance. She's actually turning around. She's kind of going back the direction. We don't need to escalate this. 
And, and so I'm like, let's just keep our distance. She's off the roadway now and she's kind of moving back in this direction. Well, what we don't know is frantic dad had stepped inside to grab a glass of tea and stepped back outside. She's in the backyard. He's gone a minute. He comes back out. He's frantically searched his yard and she must've been waiting for this because she bolted. Now I did this once when I was a kid and terrified my mom, I'll never forget it. And I was about that age. So the deputy comes in, she parks. I'm now on, I'm now doing more crowd control. The deputy comes up, takes a knee, opens her arms. She's female, she's got hair, she's got makeup. She looks like mom. And she goes, oh honey, come here. Instant empathy, instant rapport. I trust you. And the little girl, you know, and the little girl runs up to her and starts sobbing. And she's like, I'm safe. There's nothing I could have done in that circumstance no. to do no. what a female officer could do. And the deputy turned to me and she's like, she's like, you seem to know what's going on here. And I said, well, this gentleman's the dad. I said, he's like any dad would be right now. He's freaking out because he stepped inside. He stepped out. Daughter's gone. And he, he had driven the block and now he's flown out to the highway and, and dad is distraught. And I said, I really don't think this is a, a Department of Family Services thing. I think this is a, a holy cow. I need to have a conversation with my daughter thing. And so I actually, I helped her with a mindset thing. And she's like, yeah, I think you're right. I can see dad. And because at that point as a cop, you're like, well, what do I do? And you've got a lot of power. And so in that moment, there's nothing I could have done. I'd love some thoughts on that. Those are two things that I knew I needed to back off. That is exactly right. Playing your ace card, your appearance, uh, communication and engagement also requires you to recognize that, that you're not helping the situation. So just, just back away from it. Um, when I was interviewing uh, women who were uh, legitimately victims of sexual assault or something, even if we were sitting, I, I would make sure that we were always eye level. Even if we were sitting, like, for example, I, yes. I would I would take notes and I would lower myself even more by, yes. by just, you know, I, I would continuously make sure that I did not do anything to to, to trigger anything. Um, and it's just being aware of that. Um Working with children also, you can, a lot of people instinctively know if you get down to a child's level, you don't have the appearance of looming over them. You don't look like a threat. You don't look antagonistic. Even if you have a smile on your face, you're still bigger than me. Okay, you look like a threat. Most people instinctively know to get down when, uh, well, they know when it's a happy moment. When you're trying to de-escalate a situation, you need to keep that in mind so that you don't further escalate it by looming over them. Uh, get down to their eye level and, and talk to them. Um, but very critical in recognizing that I need to just back away and, and stay away from, from the situation. It's, it's absolutely critical. And that's actually one of the biggest points uh, of the many points I make in my lecture presentation is successful and effective de-escalation is recognizing when you are not helping the situation. There will be times when people don't like you, just like you said, you stepped in there and for whatever reason, she didn't like you. Maybe it's because you're wearing your University of Missouri sweatshirt or whatever. It could, it could be something. You just have to roll with it. They don't like me. Now, granted, like in the law enforcement world, uh, in those initial moments, I'm not getting along with someone. It is what it is. I need to be the one you talk to right now. And I'm doing the best I can to make a connection. But if it doesn't work and once backup gets there, okay, I, I turn them over to someone else. You, and this is where it's critical that you have that, um, uh, that self-awareness and self-discipline to get away from it because you recognize this person is not going to talk to you. They may even tell you to your face, I don't want to talk to you for whatever reason. Step away. 
Um, I, I had a situation um, at my own church, unfortunately, 2014, individuals started creating a little uh, disturbance during service. I go to a mega church, as you know, in front of 1200 some people, uh, individual, I wasn't there for this, began to uh, raise a little ruckus. Uh, ushers and greeters uh, make contact with him and try to de-escalate him. Witnesses said, I'm told uh, that this gentleman uh, it got heated and he's now telling our people because apparently their body language signaled to him that something was about to go down and he is heard telling them, don't touch me, don't touch me, don't touch me. Well, in front of 1,200 people, somebody went and grabbed him. Five or six people rolling around in front of everyone, biting, screaming, tearing, ripping. And of course, uh, it's a known phenomena. You could have two people watch the same incident and two of them will have different. Now, this happened in front of 1,200 people. And a lot of them called back, called the church to complain, said, your people escalated it. We're not coming back. And and again, it's one of those. Now, I get it. It's a nightmare scenario for any church. Someone standing up to begin to create a, a situation. However, again, this goes back down to playing your ace. If you're not connecting with this person and they're clearly telling you, don't touch me, let someone else pick up the conversation where you, trust me, will have something to do. You can also ask this set of pews, hey, folks, can you just come with me? Let's give this individual some room. And we've actually talked about that in my mega church. Um, if it begins, so anyone listening this, you know, war game these scenarios in your head. What are you, what are you going to do instead of none of this? Um, cause I've talked to some people where they have this blanket attitude. Well, I'm just not going to let that happen. What does that actually look like when you say, I'm not going to let that happen. Does that mean you're going to go hands on? And I can tell you what's going to happen. So I need people to think beyond, well, I'm not going to let that happen. What does that actually look like? At our church, what could potentially happen is our praise and worship team will get back up on stage, play music. If it gets to the point that pastor just can't deliver his message, while ushers and greeters continue to, to de-escalate, maybe ushers and greeters will also clear out the pews. Trust me, people will give this individual room. They don't yeah. want to be anywhere near ground zero or whatever, right? Uh, so that that's, again, a worst case scenario. Mm. Also, also in Michigan, it's against the law, and they passed this about the time I was retiring, 2015, 2016. It is against the law. It is a crime to disrupt or interfere with a religious service. Boom, somebody automatically get on the phone with 911. This is where teamwork comes in. Yes. Don't assume someone is calling the police. If you're back there observing this, you get on the phone, get on the radio and say, hey, guys, we got an individual in, in uh, Section 8. He's beginning to get a little ra uh, rowdy. I'm going I'm going to call the police. Yeah, you can also tell someone, hey, uh, you've got and it's just like calling 911. You call 911. If you're on the radio, hey, Paul, I need you to call 911. I got a guy in Section F. I'm going to go down there and talk to him. Now I know Paul is supposed to call 911. Make it happen. You know, Paul does not have to get sucked down there with five or six other people. And, and now in front of 1,200 people or even 100 people, you've got this mass uh, convergence on an individual who's just either got mental issues, which is probably not going to help his, his or her situation with this mass of people coming on them and all defiant and all that, right? Yes, I get it. It's a very uncomfortable situation. But then I tell people, slow down and think about it. What exactly are they hurting? It's just an interruption. It doesn't happen every Sunday. It's just a broken person who's just acting out. Pastor can always finish his sermon. 
He's probably doing this on, we can always, you know, you know what I'm saying? Is he, is this person actually hurting? Can you articulate that someone was in great imminent danger of great bodily harm or death? No. All right. I mean, it's just like a flow chart. Yes, no, yes, no. Let's, let's quickly go down your risk assessment and be assessing the situation. And, and, and I get it for people who aren't used to, to be able to think quickly like that. And of course, I've got 20 some years of it. And so a lot of things happen very quickly. I'm not even aware of it and nothing. And this is why I say there's such a need for doing scenario training, especially with churches for good people who are it plumbers, contractors, and they don't deal with this type of situation all the time. Going yes. down the flow chart is going to be a little bit more challenging yes. and you're going to, and, and you're going to default to what feels right. And say the things that feels like, and, and oftentimes that's not the thing to say or do. And yep. that's why, you know, I create these scenarios because then we can talk about it. Hey, you snapped off at me, just like that scenario you had uh, with the employee. Hey, Paul, you snapped off at me. Hey, God bless you for defending your employee. But in the future, maybe, you know, assess the situation. It worked It worked for you this time. And that's one of the things we do with our scenarios is try to give people that that feedback and, and I don't want to, to develop bad habits uh, going through life thinking, well, I got All I got to do is yell and scream because there are some people who think that conflict de-escalation is making you do what I want you to do. And that's not not effective de-escalation. So, um, so I want to go back to some yeah. stuff you just said, because there's so many things here that, are, that I just get, I really love. So if you're listening and, and watching this later, Getting quality de-escalation, and and I'm a little biased. I, I've I've seen your stuff. I've I've been to one of your talks and at a, at a conference, and and yeah. I'm, I'm a little biased. But <laughs> quality de-escalation training, um, and I can make some suggestions where I would send people. But <laughs> training for your church is incredibly invaluable, and it's and it's not just for your church. It will bless you at home with the family. It will bless you, like you just said, if you're a plumber and you're dealing with a difficult customer or whatever. And, and so let's go back to what you're talking about with the church where they went hands-on. So you open yourself up to a potential lawsuit that can, that can harm the ministry. There are people that may not hear the gospel because the church literally has to sell the building to pay for the lawsuit or whatever. That's terrible. And, and you mentioned there were people because the, the, the team had to go hands-on decided that they had to go hands-on wasn't there. I don't know all the details, but but if we come in with the wrong mindset and we're there as a bouncer and not with a ministry first mindset, when someone is saying, hey, don't touch me, but they're not hurting anything. And like you said, create that distance and have a plan in place and say, well, I'll tell you what, um, could we have this conversation in the foyer? Because uh, mm -hmm. I, I really can't hear you. And I'll throw a scenario your way in a minute that I, I did handle pretty well, but not perfectly. And try to get them away from it. I, I'm having a little bit of trouble hearing you. Can we step out in the foyer? Maybe I can maybe I can hear you better. Well, now you're you're taking them away from people because if they have a weapon on them or they're just King Kong. And so they, then maybe they don't feel as embarrassed. And then somebody three rows over doesn't roll their eyes. And now it's a chair throwing fit. Mm -hmm. And and so the, the, the less contact they can potentially have with people that might decide to intervene. You know, I was de-escalating a guy in a bookstore one time and a guy walked up and it worked out. But a guy walked up and interjected, injected himself into something that didn't involve him. And he looks at this guy that I was de-escalating. He goes, maybe you need to leave. And the guy looked at him and just did an about face and walked out the door. Now it worked out because the guy could have, you know, a macaron or a knife and gone to town. 
And, um, but the guy felt the need to inject himself in the circumstance. So obviously have a plan to deal with bystanders. And then as we're working our way out, leave a, leave a gap and leave a way for people to, to leave. I, I made a mistake one time in a situation that God put me there and it got handled and I went in prayerfully, but I didn't leave an escape route. I didn't leave a way for the pressure to vent in a safe direction for the person to be able to leave. So it was in a doctor's office. A guy was volatile. Um, he was there with his girlfriend's daughter and he was probably 50. And for him to act like this was just completely uncouth. And he's he's yelling at a woman. He's, I don't know, five, eight, five, nine, not a large man, but not a tiny guy. And she was a very small woman. She's five foot tall. She's the wife of a friend of mine. And there's there's so many gold nuggets in this story. I've I've thought about this many times. So I can walk in the front door. God put me in that place. And at that time, I'd had to reschedule the appointment. I know it was ordained that I was there. As I walk in the front door, I hear this man yelling very loudly. And there's the tension is palpable throughout the, the room. Um, people release fear, fear pheromones when they're fearful. It's a, it's a doctor's office. It's almost all, it's all women employees that day. The doctor, the other doctor wasn't there, the husband, which was a good thing. And so I go, I'm on the phone, ironically, with my sister to set the scenario up. I walk in the door, I hear this, and I said, listen, I've got to go. I may have to knock somebody out. And she goes, what? And I hung, and that, this is what came out of my mouth. And I, I hung up the phone because that's where my brain went, was like, oh. And so what we say in those moments, thankfully, it was myself to my sister, not actually saying to that person, listen, I may have to knock you out. <laughs> and uh, I didn't say it to them, but I walked down there, and all of the this is the part I didn't handle as well as I could have. All of the pleasant Paul Buckner melted away and it was go time, Paul Buckner. And so I walked up to the doorway. There's an exam room. I'm standing there. There's a girl kind of in the corner and she's kind of, you know, she's afraid. The doctor's afraid. She's half this guy's size and he's, you know, you know, yelling at her, no. And I hear her say four or five times as I walk 35, 40 feet, I hear her say, you need to leave. You need to leave. You, and he's not listening. So I walk up to the door and he does a double take and looks at me. Now, here's the funny part of the story. I had been invited onto a like a building demolition site to look to see if there's anything I wanted. I was looking down. I had a ball cap on and I and I had hit my head on a pipe of all things. And it, it hit me so hard or I hit it so hard that it cut through my hat and left us a, a gash in the scalp. Now, you think that has nothing to do with the story, except I believe that was God ordained. But it put me on my knees, rung my bell, had a bad headache. Oh, I had this nasty, freshly, you know, from two or three days before, it looked like I'd been in a bar fight. And I believe that the Lord had allowed for that to happen because as I walked up to the door, I watched all of this man's courage melt away because he looked at me and thought, this man has just been bailed out of jail he's yeah, yeah. and he's there to kill me. And so he took one look at me and I literally watched, scripture talks about courage melting. I yeah, watched yeah. his courage melt. And, and there's nothing fun about my face. And then she goes, oh, thank God you're here. And the, the funny thing of the story also was, he goes, Who, who's this guy? You need to tell him to leave. And she goes, this is our company IT guy. He could have said, this is my, my friend. This is my husband's friend. But people don't associate geek with MMA fighter or something. Right, right, right. So we call that, him Rommel. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I'm Kujo. So she says this, and the guy's like, well, you need to tell him to leave. And she's like, he's not going anywhere. And then she looks at me like, please tell me you're not going anywhere. And I just looked, and I never said a word to this guy because I didn't trust my mouth. 
And so because I, I could feel my adrenaline pop and it was pre-de-escalation training. And I I think it probably helped me to realize I didn't have all of the tools in the tool belt. Mm-hmm. And and so I think that was a great thing to let me know. And it worked out, but it could have gone sideways. And so the guy's looking at me, he's freaking out. And I realized he's King Kong with a woman, but he's going to be Pee Wee Herman with a guy. And the world's full of them. And so she's like, you need to leave. And he says, well, I can't. He's blocking the door. And what I wish I had done, because there was enough space. Now, Paul Buckner now would walk in, try to smile, try to smile, walk up to her and stand next to her and say, hey, call her by name, Dr. So-and-so. She's an authority figure. What's going on? Is everything okay? And then he has a way to leave because yes. I had accidentally cornered him. And I think there's a yep. golden nugget. I know you teach this. And, and I realized that I think really listening to one of your after actions from a training, I was like, oh, crud, I cornered this guy and I didn't mean to. And had it been a social violence, he might have clicked out a knife and it might have been a bad day. And so that was one thing I learned. And that, so what I ended up doing was I took a step back. I didn't create enough space. I had no words. I took a step back to the side and I, I went like this and I looked at him and he bolted like he was looking for a way out. <laughs> And so I didn't handle it as well as I could have. Lesson learned for the future. Yeah, that that is uh, actually uh, a couple uh, things right there. You made a comment that people uh, like this guy who injected himself in that situation. Uh, this is why everyone needs to be at training so that everyone develops a confidence with each other so that you can avoid something like this. Going up and making this comment, hey, you need to leave points actually puts you in the corner. Because now what are you going to do when they don't? Right? Yeah. And, and so when, so that is on my slide of things not to say. At the top is telling someone to calm down. In right. there is don't say these phrases that basically put you in the corner. Because if this person looks at you and goes, Take me. what are you going to do now? Well, now you feel like you have to do something. You see how this now... Now it's back on you. Now you feel like you have to do something and all you wanted this guy to leave. But now witnesses are going to see you go hands on. Yep. And, and there's going to be right. So you've got to be careful about the things you say and, and how you say it and so on. This thing about the enclosed environment with the with the doctor and so on. Exactly right. Because you, you realize now and, and you will never forget this. And this is one of those life lessons. It worked out, but mm-hmm. it may not the next time. And you suddenly realize, oh, um, I'm blocking his way out of here. Don't, you know, so folks try to avoid finding yourself in an enclosed environment with no way out and sure as heck, always leave an opening for the other person. And, and cause I, <laughs> God bless him. This was a church group. Several times, uh, we will encounter a scenario where my instructors, uh, role player would draw them into an enclosed environment and then they will try to leave. But the students will now block their way because, hey, I want to talk to you about this. You know, I, I want to literally I want to save you. I want to take you to Christ. I want to no. if someone is trying to leave, let them go. Mm-hmm. Don't say anything. Don't make don't make a comment. We'll have a great day because you may sound sarcastic and condescending and, and cause them to turn around and reengage. I have a video on my YouTube channel, individual going off the deep end at a Walmart turns a walk away and an employee very defiantly standing there will have a good day sir makes him turn around go off the deep end he decides to walk away and once again 
have a good day, sir. And you're like, oh my God, just be quiet. So note to self, folks, when someone you're dealing with is finally walking away, let them go. Hallelujah. You don't feel like you have to have the last word, the last comment, win. Just let them go. That's the win in and of itself. Everyone's going home safe. Nothing got broken. And that's where people can easily find themselves in a situation where they feel like I have to have the last word, a last comment. Don't do that. In closed environment, same thing. My instructor role players will try to walk out and 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 on the video it's funny but not funny, but it's a teaching point. Uh, as my instructor tried to walk around him, they stepped aside to block his way. And you know, and they're and we're like, no, no, let them go. You know, uh, don't get sucked into oh, I'm gonna fix it, solve it, resolve it. And and I tell people too, when broken people come to your church. Remember it, or at least consider now, it took decades for them to get to where they're at. Bad choices, bad habits. Okay, you are not going to fix it in 15 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes of contact. The only thing you're going to be able to do is be an example, plant the seed, and then let time nurture it. Okay, don't feel like you have to be the one, you know, again, high five, Facebook friend them, and then sing Kumbaya together. It's, 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 I'm not saying that's not pos- that's not impossible, but it's going to be very, very, very rare situation like that. <laughs> so you say that there's so many gold nuggets here and I love this. It's one of these things that uh, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And I've literally had conversations that have changed my life, which is what makes me so excited about doing this because this makes me better. And uh, I was at church one Sunday morning. Uh, one of our volunteers turned to me and he said, that guy right there is not one of our volunteers. And he is out with the kids and he had managed to slip through the cracks. And so I come out there and I think I told you the story before. I know I've shared it on a, on a previous broadcast, but so I go, I go outside and I can be a very nice bad guy. I've got a deputy at the door. And so I had a lot more tools in the belt because let's face it, a lot of us, if we get into church safety, we have our rapier wit, which may not be helping us. Um, and maybe we've developed carefully tended and, and nurtured years of sarc- excuse me, of sarcasm. And the only <laughs> our, our mouth, our fist, mm-hmm. gun, if we have a gun, we need a lot more tools in there. And I would rather have 80% of my skill sets be de-escalation and then th- throw some medical on there and a little bit of firearms training. Than, than be almost all on a, on a, on a violent, responsive mindset training. De-escalation is going to carry the day more times than anything. And we win 100% of those fights we don't have to fight. Well, I step outside. I look at this guy. He's a little bit nervous. Um, I start talking to him. And what I did was I just conversationally moved myself between him and the kids. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You don't have to let the person in the nursery or let them go up and, and touch a kid. We definitely don't want to do that. And had he done it, he would have had to initiate it. He would have had mm-hmm. to go on. And then I would have done whatever I needed to do. And the deputy would have come in and probably saved my backside. And so as I'm standing there and I'm talking to him, I was like, Hey, how's it going? And I'm being very personable. And uh, I said, uh, I, I, I didn't recognize you. My name is Paul. I said, I'm, I'm, you know, one of the volunteers here at the church. And I, I kept it very friendly. And he begins to talk to me. Well, I mean, I just got out of prison. Um, I've actually been to prison four times on, on narcotics charges. And I'm like, red flag, red flag, red flag. <laughs> Like, and you know, here you are here with a kid. He's trying to, he's trying to bounce a ball with an 11 year old little girl. And um, he's got some social awkwardness. I'm picking up on some anxieties. And he said, you know, I was sitting in the service. My, my, uh, uh, some of my family said, this is a great church. So I came here and, and I'm really kind of nervous. And I, I think I'm really still kind of like my, my prison background's kind of messing with me because I, I, 
Like, I don't like things behind me and stuff. And I'm like, man, I get it. I get it. And so we're, as we're having this conversation, he's like, I just really want to play with the kids. I said, man, I'm sorry. I said, it's a policy here at the church that unless you've been vetted by a background check, you can't be out here. And I said, then you have to, there's a, there's a, a, a system of things you go through. I said, you understand, we have to protect the kids that you're a great guy. I said, but you know, you know, he said, well, I'm not going to pass that background check because of this. And I said, well, I understand. He said, but I really, I really just want to play with the kids. And I said, I, man, I apologize. There's nothing I can do about it. I said, I can't be out here without a background check. I said, when I joined the security team, now I've noticed how very carefully I yeah. just on security because the other part's not working. And I said, you know, when I joined the security team, I actually had to be background checked before I could even do anything. And I said, we're just very careful. God charged us to protect the kids and we're here to protect the kids. And he's like, I understand. And I said, you know, if you want to step inside, I can have you meet our volunteer coordinator. I said, I, I've got a pastor that I report to. I'd love for you to talk to him. I said, maybe we can get you on our parking team. I run the parking team. You know, we've got some other places you could volunteer, but man, I, I'm sorry, especially with what you just told me about your background. Unfortunately, you just can't be out here with the kids. And the next thing was, if he had said, well, no, I'm gonna, I'd say, listen, well, I apologize. And I didn't have to do this. This was the awesome thing. He went back inside with me. But I said, I would have had to say, if he said, no, I'm gonna, I would say, listen, I, I really don't want to, I really don't want to have to involve our deputy. Um, you know, he can, you know, he can come out, but that conversation is probably not going to be a pleasant conversation. Mm -hmm. And, and that's where I would have taken it. In, and the smart buddy in me would want to say, well, I've got a friend inside. He's a deputy. He can hook you up with some silver bracelets. Well, I'm talking to a guy who went to prison. He's had negative right. contacts with cops. Right. And so I handled it a lot better. Like like Paul 2.34 was able to handle it better than Paul 1.0 years before. Mm -hmm. And and I realized I need to move around. I'm here to protect. And I'm going to put myself between the innocent and this guy. And I honestly don't know. I don't think he was a pedophile. I think he had some social anxieties and I think he probably felt better. He he had nephews and nieces and different things and he talked about them. I think he honestly just felt better and safer out there. Mm -hmm. Just I can't let you be out here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, your approach to him was absolutely critical because you were at a crossroads. His anxiety level was already up, and especially when he saw you coming out, because he already knew he was potentially going to be looked at and so on. So his anxiety is going up, and how you make contact with him is going to set the tone. And you just friendly greeting and so on, ministry-minded, absolutely was able to create um, this, this, this ministry moment and this contact that you had, because anyone else, and I've heard stories, could have just gone up there and go, hey, excuse me, uh, you can't be out here with the kids. Yep, see ya, have a good day. And was that necessarily wrong? No, but was that the right way to handle it? No. And, but I, you know, know people who have that attitude. I tell my law enforcement classes and I, and I, all my classes, especially, especially my law enforcement classes, because in this day and age, just simply wearing a uniform can be an escalating contributing factor. It has nothing to do with with you personally it's it's just the way things are so how do we mitigate that because i promise you that within seconds of someone looking at your face as you approach them they have determined the level of your uh professionalism whether mm -hmm. or not you're looking for a fight you know again everything about your body language uh your smile and so on and so i tell my uh, law enforcement classes when you pull up on scene within moments before you've taken six steps from your car they've determined whether or not you're going to be a jerk or someone they can try to talk to. They're already 
upset with the police and now they had to call the police and now this bozo rolls up this is just can be a really really bad situation you walking up to this guy was in, in a very similar situation he probably pegged you 30 40 feet walking to him he all okay this guy's bigger than me but he's got a nice gentle demeanor about him Mm-hmm. And so on. It it starts to mitigate the the escalating effect. But if you had walked up to him, bald eagle, predator, laser focus, and you're walking up to this, absolutely would have just driven his anxiety level up the roof. And 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 then again, the words you use, your tone of voice, and all that. But fortunately, you you know, again, not every situation. And this is what I tell folks: not every situation you encounter is you need to be a hard ass type situation. No. And especially in a church environment, ministry minded, you know, we have people who've been convicted of um, uh, or accused of of child stuff. You know, we're all about redemption, folks. Can I can I just remind everyone ministry minded? Mm. I'm not saying we turn our back on them. We're just saying give them that give them that chance. Whether they sink or swim is on them, but give them an opportunity to to be at church. Give them an opportunity opportunity uh to volunteer that doesn't mean they have to volunteer with kids but get them get them plugged in exactly get them plugged in and and we've had some conversations with people and they get it and i believe um they're legit you know did some stupid things um when they were younger a few years ago but you know they're trying to get past it And a lot of times a lot of these stupid choices and decisions were alcohol fueled once you get rid of that uh, they start, there's a higher probability and chance for them to make better choices. And so mm-hmm. we work with people. Hey, you can, you can be on our greeter team. You just can't be in the children's ministry. Yeah. You're plugged in. We're witnessing to them, but they recognize, they recognize that there are boundaries. And now you start violating that. We're going to have to have a little sit down talk, but mm-hmm. you know, it, it is absolutely worked out for us because ministry minded, because I see some comments on, on some of these forums and, Oh, God. Uh, based on these comments, I'm more worried about the church because of these people than I am about anyone walking in. And and it's it's so black and white. And, folks, I'm telling you from experience and observations, life is not black and white. It, it, yeah. You have to have grace. You have to stay flexible and adaptable to the situation you're dealing with. Just And, and again, just like just because you got away with being all up in someone's face one time, I guarantee you does not mean it's going to work out the next time you do that to somebody. Oh, man. Um, you've got to stay flexible. I want to jump in because I don't want people to miss this. So I want to go back and then I want to come forward because this is what I love about this, this conversation. So we are to love. By our love, will other people know we've been with Christ? Yes. So when, when, not if, when the convicted... Um, uh, uh, child sex predator when the the registered sex offender comes to church um, and we've, I've seen extremes of this in, in my time in ministry uh, when they come in um, a lot of we are we are to be loving and it's hard I have a sibling that was molested it's hard for me it's not an easy place for me to be I'm instinctively a protector and I've had to go through a journey of I wanted to I was a, a kid when it happened to my mm-hmm. sibling and I wanted to kill this person. And so I understand the anger. And, and so I'm, I could be the poster child for, um, for putting a, a set of gallows in the church parking lot and executing sex offenders when they, but at the end of the day, they are still God's creation. And they still, if, if God can forgive me, he can forgive them. Now, 
we had a gentleman in a church that I did the security for that years ago that he came to me and he said, look, uh, pastor so-and-so said that I need to come talk to you. I'm a registered sex offender. He's got my attention. And I said, okay. And I respected the fact he came up to me. He said, I, there's a hundred things I know that I can't do. I, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said, I'd love to serve in this. I'd love to serve in that, but I know I can't. And I said, unfortunately you are correct. And he said, this is what happened. Alcohol party got drunk. Um, had sexual intercourse with a minor who presented herself as an adult. He's now a registered sex offender. That can be looked up. It's it's true. And so he said, for the rest of my life, he's a grandfather now. For the rest of my life, I can't vote, own a gun. There's bit piece, places I can't work. There's things I can't do. There's ministries I can't serve in. I know that. But I want you to know, because I know if I'm going to try to volunteer for something, you're going to background check me. I want you to know why. Well, in a, in a greeting environment, if you're in an open environment, I'm not saying that's the place to put this person, but it's not a bad idea. If you've got a lot of checks and balances in places, and so let's say that Tim comes in and Tim's a registered sex offender, and Tim is in a wide open foyer, that's where their space is, and they can't be touching people, and they're greeting people, they have an opportunity to minister uh, to people, to love on people, and, and if they are a saved individual, they can minister in that environment. I, I have had people come in and I'm like, look, you just have to understand, you have your very own church safety team member. And, you know, this is Bill, Tim meet Bill. Bill is your shadow. Um, you go nowhere without Bill. And I've had people leave over that. Well, mm-hmm. in a lot of cases, they were a seeker. They were looking for Christ or they were looking for a soft target. And so Bill was nice to Tim and I'm giving a, these are not real names. Right, right, right. We decided that this was not a soft target and left. And we were loving about it. Now, on the complete opposite extreme, and this is actually one of the reasons that the first church I was involved in a security team started its security team. A man is on the phone with our pastor, and he says, "Uh, Sunday, I'm coming to your church. I'm a registered sex offender. I molested this child. And our pastor's like, Hmm. okay. And he says, and there's a restraining order, and I'm not allowed to um i'm not allowed within this many feet of this kid i'm coming anywhere anyway there's nothing you can do about it i'm going to talk to this kid deal with it and that, that was the attitude and so after now this was like a part the, of you is like uh, okay <laughs> i like to say the unsaved part of paul is like well we've got to for that too and so, um so our, our pastor called and he called uh several smart, large, fairly hand-to-hand savvy guys in the church, military background, whatever, and said, this is this guy's name. This is his description. And there's a lot of things we did not know to do right at the time because church right. state 13, 14 years ago, people were like, huh? Right. And so here's, here's the plan. If I point to this guy and I point at the door, you are to pick up an appendage, lift him up, carry him to the door and you are to precipitate him out the door and law enforcement will deal with him in the parking lot because if he tries to go hands-on with this kid and so for better or worse and i'm i'm not opposed to it unfortunately there are times that you may have to get physical with somebody and the 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 godly indignant righteous anger part of us i completely understand the desire to go sir you can you can you can walk out or we can drag you out mm-hmm. and you know, 
not the way to handle it 99% of the time. Today, I would say, well, you know what? I'd like to make contact with this person. I'd like to introduce them to the deputy at the door. I'm not going to broach the subject directly, but say, hey, I understand you had a conversation with Pastor with Pastor Dan. You don't have a Pastor Dan. So I had a conversation with Pastor Dan, and uh, I understand that I understand you've got a background. Um, this is this is uh, Sheriff's Deputy John Riley. He's here at our door today. <laughs> and, uh, so everybody mind. Uh, just so you know, um, I understand there's certain things in this environment. Um, you are not allowed at this service with this individual per your restraining order. And so you, you're welcome to come to a later service or an earlier service, but you you can't be within this many feet of this person. Mm -hmm. We love you and we want you here. Um, if you violate it, it's not us. It's actually the law. The law is you have this restraining order because of this circumstance. So if, if you can work with that, we'd love to have you here. It, it would be much more of that approach than it would have been the former approach. But the thing that was kind of amusing was when the gentleman found out that the church was not going to be a soft target, because he was calling and telegraphing his intent, he never showed up. And so I'm not saying it was handled perfectly, but at the end of the day, we, we want to minister, as you just said. And this was not really when we sat down talking about today, we, we weren't talking about going this direction. But what a neat thing that the Holy Spirit brought this about and we can have this conversation because this is real world meat and potatoes in the trenches, church safety, because you will encounter a registered sex offender. Are they there on the hunt or are they there looking for Jesus? And how do you handle it? You know, the fact when you first started off that story and I, I was in my head going, wow, that's awesome that he's calling to at least let people know, hey, this is me. I want to go to your church and blah, blah, blah. He didn't have to do that. But in nope. this case, it clearly was him trying to push buttons and scare people and be the fool. However, um, I would ask people to be open minded when you have someone come up and admit that to you. That's because they're, hey, this is me. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm just looking for a second chance. And so have that, take that into consideration and have that grace because this person didn't have to say diddly squat to you. And so the fact that they would come forward and admit something like that, yes, um, you know, that's huge. And, and here's the other thing about being ministry minded. If you are a God fearing Christian and you have ever said these words to God, Lord, here I am, send me. You better doggone take into consideration that God put you in the place of this individual who is a DLR for you to say it right, do it right, and, and plant the seed instead of being all muscle juiced up and, and getting all crazy with them. Amen. You know, and it's, uh, uh, yeah, be ministry minded. You know, the, what makes you so sure that you are not put there deliberately oh, to minister witness to this person? Amen. So I want to jump a different direction and, and come back because we, in the last episode, we talked about um, traumatic brain injuries, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell on myself after that. Hmm. So there's a little bit of a direction I want to go, but it's very loose. You know me well enough to know I'm a shotgun, not a sniper round. <laughs> and, uh, I, I kind of have a there, there's a wide lane, there's a guardrail on the outside edges, but there's four or five lanes in there, right. and so. Um, I just try to look to see where God is opening the door and leading, but um, dealing with traumatic brain injuries, a lot of times that person may be more volatile than they realize. And I remember listening to a, a broadcast. I, I, I drink from a lot of fountains and I was listening to a, I think it was, it might've been Jocko Willenick, one of his podcasts. I always try to be a credit where credit is due guy. Mm -hmm. One of the things that was happening in the conversation was this guy was talking about firing. And I, I believe it was a tow missile and that you're only supposed to fire so many of those in a situation hmm. because 
because the concussive force off of it can be so massive. It might not have been the toe, but it was it was a missile launcher. Well, they ended up in a all all out. This is the Alamo. We're about to get overrun. Fight your military man. And they were fighting. And during this fight, I think he fired fourteen missiles in a matter of minutes. So the concussive force is hitting him again. Okay, boxers deal with massive amounts of traumatic brain injuries. You talk to a really old boxer that was a career boxer, and sometimes they don't make a lot of sense. Um, I have a friend who is a, a Marine veteran that ended up getting blown up, and I think it was Bosnia, and it was a bad situation. There was a lot of things that weren't handled right, and um, he also had to take a life very up close and personal with a K-bar. And he's a good friend of mine, and he's a believer, and his... PTSD and his uh, traumatic brain injury together have really, really been a problem for him in his life. And I remember walking up on him one time. He's a great guy. And I said, hey, and he came up and I mean, he was ready to go. To, I mean, it was coming. And I, I kind of took, so, hey, brother, I apologize. Well, I blindsided him. I didn't mean to. I'd walked up and he wasn't expecting me. So when, when we're dealing with somebody who's had a rough situation in life. We don't know what they're coming in with. They're, you know, they're, they're not necessarily telling us. And then it does, it isn't anywhere near exclusive to you have a military experience that was negative or you were injured in the military. My mom has been in, I think it's four car wrecks in her life. And she's in her seventies now where she's received a concussion. Okay. We're starting to talk traumatic brain injury range here. Mm -hmm. uh, so you got the boxer, you got that, you got the kid that was beaten as a, as a child that they've had that, or, or just they have the trauma from it. And so I'm, I'm throwing a lot of things into the mix here, but we really don't know what they're coming in with. And so you could, you could walk up and accost somebody, which literally just means to greet them kind of abruptly and rudely to paraphrase. And so you might accost somebody suddenly, and maybe that girl, um, maybe she was just sexually assaulted last week. And it, well, and I've got a great, a great real life situation. I was doing church safety. I get approached by a deputy at the door motion, you know, so I come over and he says, Hey, there's a young lady. She's going to come out of the service. I want you to make contact with her. She came in. She asked me how to report a sex crime. She was at this club. She was attacked in the parking lot. She was raped. And so now I'm a male walking into a situation with a female who's just been sexually assaulted by a male less than 24 hours ago. Mm. It's the closest I've ever been to what you did for a living when it comes to sexual assaults because painful conversations. Well, she comes out, he points her out. I walk up, she's got a friend with her. Does her friend know the circumstance? Does her friend know the situation? I don't know if she said. So I'm like, oh Lord, I'd like to phone a friend here, but through the Holy Spirit, tell me what to say. And mm -hmm. I much, tell me what not to say. Mm -hmm. And so as I walk up, I said, hey, um, I hate to I hate to bother you. And she kind of turned and smiled at me. And I said, I understand you had a, kind of an unpleasant experience uh, yesterday. And she goes, yeah. And her friend kind of turns and looks at her, which clued me into the fact her friend might not have known. Mm. And I, I said, um, I said, we actually have a counselor here on staff that I would love for you to meet. I understand that you were maybe interested in some counseling and, and so forth. And you mm. talked to somebody and she goes, yes. I said, can I make an introduction? And so she's like, yes. Huge win. I could have walked up and said, ma'am, I understand you were sexually assaulted yesterday. Right, right, right. She, like, Handle it with kid loves. Be gentle because you never know. Like, like if, if this is if this is shards of glass sticking out of a broken cup and we're trying to help, we might be getting cut by those sharp edges. I love mm -hmm. that analogy. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, that's good. 
I, I took her, I use that a lot with my cops when it comes to relationships and dealing with people is we all have broken edges and we all want to be held and loved, but we might be cutting people. It's time to let God heal those edges. So I bring her up to one of my pastors, call his attention. I said, hey, this young lady had an unfortunate encounter yesterday um, and she would like to talk to somebody uh, about some counseling. And then she opened up and she laid out for him what she wanted to tell him. Instant empathy. He looked at me and said, thank you. He said, Paul, thank you. I appreciate what you do. I've got it from here. And then he got a lady involved and they got her to the counselor. And I have no idea because guess what it is now? It's above my pay grade. Right. And, right. and but we never know. So I'm going to throw that around. I'm going to throw in an anecdote and then I want to launch it back to you mm-hmm. because just beginning in the military world to understand TBIs. We're just beginning in the private sector medical world to understand traumatic brain injuries. I, I have had encounters with people that have mixed traumatic brain injuries with legal and illegal drugs, prescription and Ill- illegal medications. So you already have altered brain chemistry. You already already have, in many cases, a more volatile temper, which is a, which is a kind of a, a, a very commonly seen thing. And I told you the story before. I think it was when our first conversation when I was with the church safety guys on a live broadcast. But I think it's worth opening up and, and unpacking again. So. I'm at church. I'm I'm standing inside the back. I, I already kind of smell like bacon. I already kind of smell like a cop. People kind of think I am because I've hung around law enforcement for so many years. Um, very loud worship going on. Our church cranks it to 11. <laughs> no one can hear me sing. So I can sing very badly and very enthusiastically. Yeah, yeah. I'm standing at the back, uh, this guy comes up to me and he's like two and a half of me. He's just a big dude. He's got hands like this. He's just a huge man. And he comes up to me. Now, I don't know that he had had a, a motor vehicle accident and a severe brain injury. And by the way, from our prior broadcast, we were talking about the prior episode, we were talking about the gentleman that, that threatened my employees over the phone. He had been in a severe car accident and had watched his, his girlfriend die. So he had severe post-traumatic stress, but then he also had a TBI. And I didn't understand at the time the TBI aspect at all. And uh, it's something I'm trying to learn more about. So back to my church, this guy comes up to me, his face is flushed, his eyes are hard, he walks past me out, I kind of take a peek, and I'm like, boy, that's several DLRs right there, several dozen, Mm -hmm. several red flags, and I'm like, I kind of, you know, at him, and then so he goes walking back in, and he gets really close to me, and so we're, you know, really close, he leans in, and his hands shoot out to the side, now my adrenaline spiked, because I'm like, oh boy, I'm about to ride the bull, and he... His hands shoot out to the side. His face is flushed. His eyes are hard. He leans in and he goes, why are we talking about money in church? And I'm like, um, and I'm thinking, okay, powder keg, fuse is burning in, you know, and I said, um, I, can, can you step out here with me? I'm having trouble hearing you. No, I can hear him fine. But we stepped out in the foyer. Well, I've got security, a security presence in the foyer. I've got a deputy in the foyer. I've, I'm getting him away from hundreds of people. We run, at the time, it was about 750, 800 people uh, per Sunday. Now it's about 1,500 people a Sunday. So there was probably 300 people in that room at the time. So as I step out with him, he's 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 pumping his hands. Like he's building yeah. himself up to a fight. And I start talking to him and I'm like, oh, Lord, I'd like to phone a friend here. Uh, I, you know, how do I handle this to deescalate this? Because this is going to get bad. And the limited martial training I've had, the martial arts hand-to-hand training I have, my brain's thinking about, you know, blocking and moving and positioning myself. And I moved him around to where I'm between the sanctuary and him. But guess what he has? An exit. There's a lot of mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And we're talking, he's like, where do we get off talking about money in church? Why are we talking about money in church? We have no business talking about money in church. And I tried a couple different tactics. I said, well, I've gone here for at the time about a year. Now it's three. Um, this is the first time I've ever heard the pastor mention money. And I said, he's actually talking about, this is what God's blessed us to be able to do. And these are the ministries that God's opening the door to help. So because you've asked what we do with money as a church, people are asking the pastor, our senior pastor is going to spend about five minutes. Cause that's what he said he was going to do. Spend about five minutes talking about this is how we as a church handle the tithe, the blessing you give us mm-hmm. shaking his head and he's getting worse. And so, okay, that didn't work. And it like, you teach this. If it's not working, stop. Abandon mm-hmm. the strategy and try something else. Mm-hmm. And in that strategy, I'm like, this is not working. And I said, well, I said, scripture actually, there's actually more times that Jesus mentions money in the New Testament than really about anything else, including salvation. Not working. And uh, and then I'm like, how do I? I'm like, Lord, this is about to be a fight. And if this guy hits me, I'm probably going to hurt. <laughs> i'm out of the fight and now now everybody else is in this fight and and so i'm very mindful that i win 100 percent of the fights i don't fight i'm like lord and i know this was god i said well there's there's a lot of ministries that this church supports and he's shaking his head and his body language and i'm like i have to let this guy know how do i lovingly let this guy know i'm a security presence we have a security presence how do i continue to de-escalate this because he's super volatile Mm. i'm like i don't know what has set this guy off but he's obviously Mm -hmm. easily set off Mm -hmm. and uh, he's got a hair trigger and so i said you know i said one of my passions as somebody who does security and i watched him lean back he moved about this far and he reevaluated me okay that's good but i did it in a way that was not aggressive or offensive i didn't i'm a triple dipped black pajama ninja Mm -hmm. you know i used to kill i used to kill you know guys (laughs) i didn't have to say that and it would have been stupid because now i'm setting ourselves up for a fight well you know so i said you know one of my passions is security i'm part of security here at the church and i said this ministry here our church actually blesses a ministry that helps people who are victims of domestic abuse and even sometimes they they work with a ministry that pulls people out of sex trafficking and he stopped. And I said, and, and I realized I just found an inn. The, the front door's locked. I've gone around to the back mm-hmm. door. It's it the door's ajar, you know. And and so, and that's a strategy I try to use a lot. You know, you have a law enforcement background. A lot of times that 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 mm-hmm. hard. And so I tried to come in the back door, it was unlocked. And I said, that's one of my passions is is protecting people who've been victimized. And he's like, totally derailed him and so you know oodle loop i i interrupted his oodle loop he got halfway through that and went huh mm-hmm. i was able to was able to get inside his oodle loop and take him another direction and it was a positive direction that it was not it was not i think as good as maybe i could do it now but hopefully we can all say that we've leveled up mm-hmm. but then he goes man that's 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 awesome and he shoots his hand out and this enormous sasquatch hand like starts pumping my hand clasps me on the shoulder and i'm like sweet lord in heaven i'm glad i'm not fighting this guy and like open hand like about takes my shoulder out of its socket and we're talking and then a relative of his steps out the flush to his face is leaving his eyes are returning normal his his voice is changing and he's he's calming himself down. He's starting to get excited about, man, that's amazing. That's awesome. I love that. And then this relative steps out and goes, why are you out here? Church is in there. And he looked at her and it was the funniest thing in the world. He goes, we're having church out here. 
Yeah. And I kind of grinned at her and I like, we're good. And she looked at me like, be careful. So she knew mm-hmm. then he opens up to me and he, and he just unfolds like, like some kind of a tent or something. He unfolds severe motor vehicle accident, almost died, massive TBI. And I was like, Ding! and so we had this great conversation. I've never seen him again. But he's like, man, that's awesome. I love the fact that you guys, you guys aren't just about how beautiful you make the building. And I said, well, if you notice, concrete floor, um, exposed metal ceiling, yeah, like yeah, yeah. not gold plating things. And I said, most of the money that comes in actually goes out to ministry. You talk about, I truly believe I was within 60 seconds of one of the worst fights of my life. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Mm-hmm. That is actually one of the scenarios I use because it forces people to actually think in, in a stressful situation, how to react and respond to that type of argument, because it is a relatively common attack on the church and Christianity. And you know what a powerful statement this guy said, because of your ministry mindedness, we're having church here. Amen. Church is just you and one other person. It doesn't have to be inside the room with three, four, five other people. And so that was a very powerful moment. I want to touch upon selecting people for church uh, ministry security. Please. Um, God bless uh, our veterans and all that, but I'm aware of people who are just a little bit too hard charging. And I know of some people ended up being released from the security team because they haven't dialed it down, yep. whether it's PTSD or, or just they haven't clicked that they're home now, that the rules of engagement are different. Uh, because in my uh, observation and experience, there seems to be a, a almost a blind acceptance. Oh, you're in the military. Great. Boom. Uh, here's your badge. Um, you know what? There is no guarantee that person is not sitting on a razor's edge wire about to go off because and especially if they are like this one person that I'm aware of was he could not stop talking about how many tours of duty he did. And how the and he was talking back and argue, being argumentative with our instructor role players. Mm. Um, this their head of security had actually pulled me aside and said, "I got to be honest with you. I'm, I'm you know I I'm not that comfortable with this guy. Let me know how he does in these scenarios." And I didn't I did not tell my team about him because what we do immediately after training seminars we kind of gather together and if one name keeps popping up independently. I know that there's something going on there and I, and I, I let security, uh, their head of security know, Hey, this guy kind of just makes us shake our head. And, um, I remind people, Timothy McVeigh was a veteran, uh, uh, the individual who murdered five Dallas police officers during one night of shooting was a military veteran. Um, this guy who went on a rampage, a, a, he was an African American, a black guy. He was actually a Navy Lieutenant former LAPD officer, went on a rampage killing police officers. And uh, uh, several months ago, one of the last uh, brutal uh, suicide, uh, suicide, homicide type situation. uh, Oh, no, he walked into a house in Central Florida, walked into a house, just killed everybody for whatever reason, ended up getting killed. They're interviewing the girlfriend. He goes, yeah, I don't know what set him off. He was church security last Sunday. I remember that story. Yeah. So, so, you know, keep your head on a swivel. I mean, we're, we're ministry minded, but we cannot, cannot just blindly accept people, especially just because they walk up and play the veteran card. Cause yeah. trust me, there will be people who play the veteran card. Mm-hmm. Um, all these people who did not go to Vietnam. Okay. 
where are they today? They're probably playing the veteran card and I'm this and I'm that and, and I'm a war hero when in fact they fled to Canada or whatever. I, and my point is people see where we have a natural um, empathy and compassion and, and we embrace our military veterans and they'll take advantage of that. Um, and if they're legitimate veterans and so on, and they have uh, uh, had done a couple tours and they brag about it, be very wary um, uh, about necessarily having them on. You, you could potentially be putting yourself in danger just because you you do not need them to over to overreact on a situation when it's a ministry minded situation, and they overreact and and it, the whole situation spins out of control. Dude, I want to jump on this for a second because you're you're making great points. You are a veteran. You love your brothers and sisters that have served. I, I know your heart. You, you're Absolutely. a man who you love your your brother and sister police officers, and you have a very unique set of, of, of experiences because of your time in the military and your time in law enforcement. You have real-world practical experience that a lot of people don't have. I love that. And so what you're not saying, because I know your heart, what you're not saying is that that every veteran is damaged goods or that, that no veteran can serve on a team. That's not what you're saying. No. I know but you, you are correct because one of the biggest things I, as a chaplain, and one of the biggest things that I have done in church security, both running a team and then later now serving on a team, on a bigger team, is a lot of times I've had veterans watch me de-escalate a situation and, and even law enforcement. And whether they watch me de-escalate or we're just having a conversation and them say, one of the biggest things I struggle with is not just grabbing that person and throwing them out the door. And like I was talking to a friend of mine one time that they they very well-intentioned said, you, you need to have served in the military to be a cop because they're going to teach you how to control yourself. And I said, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. I chaplain, I said, a, a Marine that is a, a MARSOC Marine or, or is, that fought in Fallujah, their training is to take ground and hold it. And they're not gentle. I said, the, the, now, do I respect the Marine Corps? Yes. Are some of my best friends Marines? Yes. And I actually, for some reason, I attract Marines. I have a lot of Marine friends as a guy who's never seen the military. They're like, I like you. And they <laughs> my buddies. I said, the thing is, a Marine is not taught to de-escalate. When you're in the middle of Afghanistan or Iraq or Somalia, and you're in an environment where the population is, is heavily armed and been fighting for a long time and might hate you, uh, might might have centuries deep of resentment towards what they feel you represent. That's a powder keg. But the training that you receive in that environment is typically to take ground and hold it. Um, and so you don't see a lot of de-escalation training taught to the military. And And so what I tell my friends is, if you have the ministry heart, and I know this is where your heart's at, um, and James McGarvey and I have talked about this many times, if you have, we'd much rather have somebody that has a ministry heart and then we can teach them about how to protect themselves and protect others. Because I literally have had veterans come up to me on my security team and say, listen, you're going to be point because I have one setting mm -hmm. and I'll go right through that person. And so I know that's a limitation of mine and they're mindful of it and they're aware mm -hmm. of it. And watch them grow and mature in Christ. And I've seen that with my law enforcement buddies. I've, I don't know how many times I've had a cop tell me, and this is a paraphrase, I have two settings, trespass them or hook them up, T put them in handcuffs and haul them off. I have two mm -hmm. settings. Mm -hmm. And when I meet a police officer who has a ministry heart, and I know a lot of them, mm -hmm. when they, and you're one of them, you know, retired law enforcement now, but you're, you're, you're law enforcement. Mm -hmm. When you have that ministry heart, 
all of the physical skill sets, the, the hand-to-hand and the firearms training and the situational awareness, all of that's great. But if you have a ministry heart and you know how to de-escalate, all these other things can fall into place around this. Because I I literally have had conversations with people where they're like, they're like, I kind of would actually like to mix it up with somebody. And they're they're like, you know, I kind of miss those glory days when I was in the military or in law enforcement or when I was a bouncer. I've known guys that used to be bouncers that want to get into church safety. Great set of skill sets. And I hate to quote Roadhouse, but if they had that Roadhouse set of be nice, they can make Mm -hmm. church security. But or or you just got that guy that's a hothead, like Mm -hmm. those nightmare scenarios. And I'm I'm just kind of like going around a lot of of potential issues. Mm -hmm. Somebody walked up to me at my last church and they said, hey, uh, so-and-so, this is Paul. He's our head of security. Okay, first off, don't tell them that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I understand. <laughs> um, this is this is uh, Jack's first Sunday, not his real name, here at the church. And he would like to carry a gun. This is literally what they're saying. And be on the security team. He's looking mm-hmm. to serve in security. Not a Christian. Obviously then does not have that Christ-like ministry heart already wants to carry a gun and serve in a security capacity. Now you're scaring me because I think you have something to prove and you're now looking for as a hammer, you're now looking for a nail fire yep. uh, beware. And so I, I started making up church policies, um, security team policies on the spot. And it, I was very young in the security world as it was church security teams were very new. So I um, was orally writing our security policies right there. Mm-hmm. And I kind of have a policy in place as of right now, we've been here about a year at the church and um, we have to know your background and really know a lot about you. And you really have to have that heart that I'm here to serve. Once we know that about you and you've been here for long enough for us to get to know you, you could very much, very possibly serve on our team. Until then, we've got security in place and we, we really try to make sure that we're the ones carrying the guns, interacting with the cops. Oh, well, in that case, I'll just find another church. Bye. Thanks. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Go with God. God bless you. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I, and and uh, yeah, you're right. I, I love my brothers and sisters uh, in the military, uh, but you're absolutely right. The military does not teach you a diddly squat about civilian affairs, about anything like that. Um, there's a it's a whole different mindset and the, the folks who come back and don't dial it back or just completely shut it off and readjust their mindset are the ones that are going to potentially find themselves uh, doing and saying things that that are just not appropriate for that moment and that situation that they find themselves in. The job of the infantry, and that's what I was, uh, is, is to is to find the enemy, fix the enemy in place close with the enemy and destroy the enemy with violence of action. It's very cut and dry. Nowhere in there does it say play nice, hand out candy, uh, right? And, and, and you can see some of these folks come back and they have that mentality. And I'm like, God bless you. I'm glad you came home in one piece, brother. But let's take a deep breath and slow down because you're in a church and DLRs will be here and they may not be uh, in the mindset to encounter someone like you. And in fact, that, that would be probably the wrong thing if it you know because because these guys uh these individuals blow through my scenarios in such a manner that that it's like wow i'm glad this was a training scenario because because this is and, and we look for two things um just like any sports team and stuff like that uh we're looking for people who are open-minded and teachable trainable 
And that. when you start arguing, arguing and defending your actions against officers who have 140 years of actual experience trying to convey to you just simply, hey, we would have handled that differently, you're not trainable to me. And, and uh, you telling me your seven, eight tours in Afghanistan supersedes my 20 years of experience on the streets, no. No, different. no, 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 no. It's a different world. And, and, um, you know, you did what you had to do where you were at. That's great. But I'm, I'm sharing with you what works most effectively and successfully in the civilian world. Okay. Um, and again, I'm not trying to say, uh, uh, you know, not to have veterans and, and cops and stuff like that. Just be discerning. Don't don't just blindly accept people just because they say who they are. Okay, because trust me, I've arrested um, people of of stature, lawyers, doctors, college coaches. Uh, I believe even a pastor. Um, at least he claimed to be a pastor. Um, I, I've I've got to that point where I've I've seen people. You know, we hold certain people at a higher standard, and in a, in a way, we should right. Um, that's why when I hear that someone's had a, a, a moral failure or whatever, or gone and done some stupid things or whatever, mm. I'm not necessarily surprised, but I'm disappointed. I'm not surprised because they're a human being and they goofed up. Yeah. I'm not surprised. I'm disappointed because it's so-and-so that I looked up to, you know, and, and, uh, uh, that that's that's always been my my mindset. I mean, you hear people go, get really, really hurt and upset when someone that they, they 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 hold in high esteem do something stupid they either refuse to accept it and and or uh are just literally go off the deep end emotionally because they just cannot believe it and if that person could do that what hope is there for me well there is a lot of hope for you you're mm -hmm. not them that's their walk and you have your own walk and uh, our pastor just the other day or some we had a guest speaker who said um rick renner uh um he's one of our pa uh, pastors that we support in russia coincidentally but he was there at our church speaking a couple weeks ago and he said you know every now and then it's really important to take a pause turn around and look back at all that god's done in your life mm. to to remind you that he's there and that things will work out okay okay and then you can take a deep breath turn around and face forward again but but always you know just maybe take a moment to look back and remind yourself this is where I was having a rough time and almost thought God wasn't there, but I can see that he was and, and so on. Um, so, yeah, kind of went around in a tangent there, but. No, it's great because this is, this is meat and potatoes, church safety. And these are the conversations I want to have because um, I remember talking to a pastor that he's like, yeah, when we started, I was like, okay, who here likes to shoot? Okay. We're going to talk about forming a safety team. Well, I can understand how we could arrive there, but that's not a place to start. It's better to start with the heart and then develop skills than try to take along with the skills who doesn't have the heart and, uh, and being teachable. I like, I, I try to talk about th this is one of my biggest things I push because the minute that we decide we know it all, we, we did, then we just locked ourselves off and we are setting ourselves up to fail. I was doing some executive protection training with uh, Matt Combs with Shield Force International, my favorite instructors. And I found myself in a scenario where I was protecting a dignitary. Like the, the scenario was like a ball player. And I think that's why part of your part of me resonates so much with what you teach is because I've been through reality-based scenario training. Mm -hmm. And so, so we're in the situation, I, I, we're protecting this guy, we're moving through kind of a faux crowd environment. And this guy lunges and he pulls a knife. I step off the X, 
go go for my concealed weapon, which is my finger. I pull my finger Glock up. I drive my finger Glock out, and I Mozambique this guy, two to the chest, one to the forehead, with my finger Glock. And the instructor that was playing the bad guy was, I think he appreciated, like, oh, wow, he's got some skills. But the, the, the main instructor walks up to me, and he says, hey, if we have to go for our gun, we've failed. So if you can, it, it, you know, and so it, I've really tried to bring that back over into church safety because, um, and, and uh, I'm going to butcher his last name because I always do, but Simon, and uh, it's like Azemo. Awesome. Yeah, I, and awesome. I always I destroy his name. He's a friend of mine, and I just, I, 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 I'm glad that he forgives me. But great guy. He has a background, British law enforcement, executive protection. Yep. He's yep. going to do things in the private world. And he and I have had conversations about professional executive protection. And he's like, the minute you, that you have to go hands-on or, or more specifically to the conversation I had with him, the minute you have to go for your gun, you've already lost, you've already failed. And if we, if we looked at church safety that way, that's why I'm so passionate about bringing an executive protection mindset into it. And I don't mean bouncer bodyguard. I mean, real executive protection mindset into church safety. And the guys that I saw struggle the most, and I've had instructors in in several things tell me, I'd rather start with a blank slate. Mm -hmm. and, and so your head's in the right place. I'd rather start with a blank slate with somebody that's teachable than somebody who knows what they know what they know. And a lot of the guys that I've seen really struggle, and I hear this from guys like Byron Rogers, who does Protector Nation, and a lot of these guys, I drink from a lot of fountains, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. executive protection, real high-speed stuff, they'll say, Literally, I've had Delta Force, I've had to fire. I've had Navy SEALs, I've had to fire. I've had Berets and MARSOC and Army Rangers, I've had to fire because they know, they know what they know. Now, mm -hmm. we had to do that with ex-law enforcement. Now, are all of those skill sets good? Yes. Are mm -hmm. all of those skill sets potentially useful? Yes. But what matters the most? The heart and the mind and how teachable. Yep. And so in, in these scenarios, I had these aha moments and it's like, okay, it's not about my gun. It's not about how quick I am on the draw. Now, those are very useful in the less than 1% of the time that you might actually need that. But the rest of the time, it's trying to de-escalate a situation. And maybe in that moment, that person really, like way back in our conversation from the last episode, um, you're with that Christian speaker that's at your church and you're doing close protection. You're on a, a, an executive protection. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that you're the guy that I'm dealing with and, and I've prepped myself for this and you come up and you're like, you know what? There's some theological points that I think I need to hammer home with this guy. This guy's not, you know, this guy's off. He's a heretic. And I say, well, I'll tell you what, I've actually got his card here. This is his email address. I apologize. And I, I'm putting myself in between and I'm kind of acting as a buffer. Now the rest of my guys can get that guy to safety and I'm, I'm doing what I can to deescalate you visually breaking contact. You know, this, your police mm -hmm, officer mm -hmm. is so great to get mm -hmm thread away from the potential victim and so i i'm there here's this card uh listen you can email him and you guys can establish a dialogue or the guy can block you you know that's up to him but i'm not going to tell him that but right right, right. I'm available right now and i apologize it's above my pay, pay grade there's really nothing i can do and then we just de-escalated long enough that we broke contact i didn't have to go hands-on i didn't have to fold up i didn't lock myself into a situation and uh so mindset and bringing that all the way back around and i want to toss it back to you Mindset is so desperately important. So as uh, Alvin Bowen says, you're a, a black pajama ninja. If you're a black pajama ninja and you're really skilled at whatever it is, you're skilled at taking lives, there's a very narrow lane that that works in legally. Mm -hmm. if, if a friend of mine told me one time, mm -hmm. he said, it's really hard for me to come back from war because everything the military taught me is either a felony or highly um, 
unpopular. Right. Exactly. I don't really work here. You know, this, this actually goes back to how important having a visual deterrent is. If you have to end up going to your gun, then you as a visible deterrent did not work. Mm. And, um, you know, and, and that kind of goes along with, with, you know, there are people, if, if that's their intent, if they have an agenda, remember, there are going to be several uh, factors where nothing you say or do is going to de-escalate a situation. One of them is someone with an agenda. If they're looking to create a situation, it's going to happen. However, for a vast majority of uh, uh, knuckleheads and stuff like that, just being a visible, visible deterrent, this is why uh, EP guys, a lot of times, and bouncers are usually rather larger and so on, just for that visible, visible deterrent factor. And, you know, I even raised this question in one of my, one of my uh, um, uh, uh, social media postings. My, my latest magazine from USCCA did a phenomenal article. They sent out a poll to all these individuals who are incarcerated for assault charges. And they asked them, and for the people who responded, they were asked, what was it about a victim that made you decide to go ahead and attack them? And what was it about a potential victim that made you decide you were not gonna attack them? 9.999% of the time, it was every, whether or not they decided to attack someone or not attack someone dependent on what they saw. Did this person look like a, a soft target? Do they look weak? Are they distracted? Are they paying attention? Or do they look like they can take care of themselves? Does it look like I might get hurt? Does it look like uh, they're armed? You know, it's visual. And so I made the comment because, as you know, there are people who are very, very passionate about church security not being visible at all. Right. That's fine. However, my question is, would it not be better to deter a situation from happening rather than risk the life and limb of one of the flock before you actually jump in? because that sounds more reactive than proactive. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying you have to walk around with a blaze orange jacket or anything like that. And you know, at our church, all of us staff volunteers and all that, we wear a similar badge. Some of our security guys wear the blue one, but we're, it, we all are representatives of the church. We are someone who can help you if you have a question or concern. So mm -hmm. the visible deterrent. Um, and we know that one of the shootings, um, uh, not the one where Wilson uh, took the guy out, but the one before that, West Freeway, uh, unless I've got the names wrong. But uh, the individual walked into a, shirt, a church, started shooting, and, and a guy across the street engaged him as, as the shooter was leaving with an AR. Um, so, was that West Freeway? Or Sutherland. Sutherland, Sutherland Springs. Yep. As I recall, that guy had actually gone to another church. But because of yep, but because of of what he saw and perceived as as a the security or whatever, he chose what ended up being a soft target. And so again, I based on my own experience and observations, visible deterrence is 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 powerful. Um, yeah. But it goes back to EP protection. You know, uh, you yeah, you did it right. You know, Mozambique him. But we probably could have avoided that, you know, and that's one of those teaching lessons, you know, it's like, okay, uh, in the future, maybe we can do this or that or whatever. But, you know, again, you know, if that if 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 it gets to that, there's a possibility that one of the weak spots was your visible deterrence. Yeah. So I want to go back to something you just said, the Sutherland Springs shooting. I have been forever changed by by many interviews. Um and I was part of an interview. I'm getting goosebumps even thinking about it with Frank Pomeroy, the pastor at Sutherland Spring, yeah. also with uh, Stephen Williford, the, the the barefoot warrior, the hero of of Sutherland Springs, and their stories and what they talk about 
have forever changed me. And some of the things uh, they they'll haunt you that you you will mm-hmm. think of them again and again. And I think that's wise. Any 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 church security person worth their salt should be praying that nothing bad ever happens there. Correct. From a sure standpoint, because we we don't want the carnage. We we may we may in some part of our pride want to be the cool guy that shuts down the active shooter, but but the from the place of maturity, we don't want that. The lawsuits and the fallout and the lives that are changed, the lives that are lost, the people that stop going to church with us, the people that come in for the wrong reasons. God is over all of it. God is in charge. He's done amazing things with Sutherland Springs, but to this day, lives have been changed. Lives have been ended. And there are people that hate or love for the right and wrong reasons, totally differently. And so you mentioned the visible deterrent. This is something that uh, James McGarvey and I were talking about this back when most of the mindset in church safety was invisible, invisible, invisible. You got to be invisible. Well, number one, the, the the bad guy probably knows that you're a, a sheepdog. The the um, the wolf can smell the sheepdog, and so I smell like bacon. I've hung around cops for a long time. I get pinged in a crowd, and sometimes it's interesting. But so you're, they probably see you anyway. They probably sensed you anyway. Number yeah, one, yeah. the guy, as I recall the story, the guy went to a church, and I don't know which order it was in. The belief is that he went to this church to cause a distraction, a diversion. He was mm. at Air Force, was a was a military man that, that mm-hmm. did the Springs attack, sadly. And no reflection on his service, but he did give him some skill sets. He went to this other church, and my understanding was he saw some guys in some reflective vests at the parking lot. And they have him, my understanding is on video, turning around and leaving. And then he went to another church and they had two uniformed officers. And as I remember the story, they were there towards the front of the congregation, immersed in the service. And he went, "Mm, I'm looking for a soft target. I don't want to, I don't want to die here. And so he decided to abandon two other attacks and go from his secondary and tertiary goals and targets to his primary which was, which was a terrible situation. So going with that, and then I want to come back around to because you teach de-escalation and it's hands-on, and we've talked about a lot of different reasons why, I'm going to tell on myself a little bit, um, but I think it's valuable. And, and I always try to be transparent and real. I'm going to talk about two of my own failures in de-escalation, and, and I'm going to talk about why, why I feel hands-on, real-world, in-your-face de-escalation is so important. Um, Unless you've ever been punched, you don't really know what it's like to be in a fight. Unless you've, unless you've had a, been in a force-on-force training where people are actively trying to shoot you with something, you can think you're John Wick and Rambo rolled into one. You're Dirty Harry and whatever John Wayne, whatever generational mm-hmm. yeah. You, Rambo, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And so I, I I have spanned enough life to appreciate all of those heroes. But anyway, when you if you think you are that, I had a gentleman that was a pretty high speed cop walk out of a room where he had just been eviscerated by, um, by his plan hmm. and on charging into this room to save the day. And uh, he was, he was dead. I mean, that he's out of this and he was completely humbled by it. And he, be, he was very teachable. And he's like, I, it's one thing to think, you know what you're going to do. He said, but I was terrified and all it was going to do was hurt. <laughs> Kill me. And he said it, he, he's like, I'd never been in this level of a force on force training before. And, uh, and it really taught me a lot. Matter of fact, it was with Matt Combs with Shield Force International. And I got to be a tackle dummy and, and be one of the bad guys. 
This has been the Let's Talk About Church Safety and Security podcast. We hope this blessed you, and we encourage you to like and share this episode with your ministry team.